We've heard the word of the Lord this morning. We have heard that God is a God of faithfulness, that God is a God of forgiveness, that God is a God that restores lives. And this last few weeks, in the, as we walk through the journey of Lent, which is a period that we prepare our hearts and ourselves to recognize and realize that Jesus gave it all for us and that he was obedient to, the, obedient to God the Father all the way to death. And we've been talking about elements, and that's where all this stuff is up here. These are elements that we find in our story, such as, as, as the perfumes that were used. Some of you in that corner may smell a little aroma, right? Not intentional. Back there is the perfume infusion thing. As Mary, friend of Jesus, anointed Jesus in preparation for his death. Oh, very extravagant gift that she gave. And we ask ourselves the question that we, what has been the last and most radical thing you have done for Jesus? In the second week, we talked about Peter and water. And, and I enjoyed Peter and water. And Kenny was our Peter that day. And, and, and Peter knew about water quite a bit. He lived off the sea, off the water. He lived by the shore. Both his residences were by the shore, one in the Mediterranean, one in the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And, and even though the water was significant for Peter, uh, he refused to have Jesus wash his feet. He refused and he pushed away what Jesus wanted to do for him. And yet Jesus replied, well, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you will not belong to me. And in my Puerto Rican translation, then he said, then, then get me all wet. And Peter replied, not only my feet, Lord, but my hands and my head. And we all came forward symbolically and we had our hands washed as we identified and expressed and claimed we belong to Jesus. Last week, we talked about strangers and people that, that, walk, that we walk by them almost on a daily basis and we don't recognize them. We don't even look at their faces. We don't care for them. And I said that that was like the soldiers in our story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We read the story and we move through the soldiers like, ah, who cares about them? Because they were mean. They were the villains. They were the executioners. However, I asked the question, what if? What if we knew something about a soldier? What if we got to know them better and their stories and their struggles and we got to know Longinus? Remember Longinus? Who old tradition talks about him being the centurion in charge of the execution of Jesus Christ. And, and as he actually pushed that lance on Jesus' side and the blood spread on his face, Tradition says that he was healed. And here is one who is the chief executioner who may have heard the words mumbled by Jesus, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing. And we got to know that soldier who was our enemy and suddenly became our brother and a minister of Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk briefly about loving tears. Tears. Oh, is there, are there a lot of tears in our story? They begin all the way with Mary. 
the friend of Jesus. As she began to anoint Jesus' feet, she also wept because she actually believed what Jesus was saying, that it was necessary for him to die. The other ones didn't believe it. They were into denial. Peter, the macho one, you know, says, oh, I will kill whoever tries to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And he was there. But Mary cried. And so as the week goes by, there were moments where people cried. But Jesus also wept. Scripture tells us in, in, in three occasions very clearly and, and unapologetic on, 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 on that Jesus wept. The first time we hear the moment where Jesus weeps is when he weeps for his friend Lazarus when he heard that Lazarus had died. And, and he wept for Lazarus, but was he really weeping for Lazarus? He wept with Mary and Martha as he encountered them just outside the grave. Was he really crying just for Lazarus or also for Mary who have lost, who are experiencing the, the pain, the wrenching pain of losing a loved one so near and precious to them? Jesus also cried when he was approaching Jerusalem, when he said the words, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets that have been sent to you, you destroy them. And he wept. Was he was weeping for a city or was he was weeping for the people of the city? Was he weeping for the, those buildings and institutions? Or was he weeping for the condition, the blindness, the spiritual irrelevantness that people live in cities? Then he also cried a third time. And this third time he was crying for himself, Doris. He had just finished dinner with his friends and now he is in the Mount of Olives. And there alone he tells his bodies, his Guates, his friends, his best friends, hang around with me, wait for me. And they just fell asleep. They, they didn't hang out with him. They didn't last with him. But he agonized and he shed tears. Actually, the, the agony was so, so intense that a medical condition ensues and, and he began to sweat tears. I mean, beads of sweat mixed with blood. But there were tears there. There was another time that Scripture does not say that Jesus cried, but there were other occasions in Scriptures that they describe as Jesus was moved to compassion. And the original language, moved to compassion, is a, a, it's a, his guts were turned over. That's what it really means, but we don't say it that way. He was moved to such a point when he saw the widow who had lost her only son, that she was now going to go into a slavery, perhaps. He was moving to compassion again when he sees the people moving around their daily life like sheep without a shepherd. And he may have cried tears. However, on, on the way to the cross, on the way to that mound as he was carrying the cross, he saw the women there crying for him. And he stopped 
He said, women, don't cry for me. Don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. Cry for your children and your children's children. Why would Jesus say that? When he's the one that's carrying the cross, when he's the one pouring out the blood, pouring out the sweat, pouring out the tears, pouring out the love for us, yet he says, cry for yourselves, don't cry for me. He's preaching. He's teaching us that it is us who need what he's about to do. That he willingly is carrying this cross, that he is willingly pouring out his guts, Pouring out his blood, pouring out his sweat, pouring out his life. And yet he tells us, you are in more need than I am. He's the one walking to get crucified. Interesting, huh? We are in a greater need than he ever was. Oh, Jesus cried in all those three occasions. And then he asked us, don't cry for, but cry for yourselves. For it is the condition of this world that needs to be transformed. See, he knew that he was going to die. Some scholars don't know if Jesus knew whether he was going to rise again. Well, he had talked about it that he was going to do that anyway. I don't know what book they're reading, but that's okay. But he knew that he trusted God that somehow God was going to take this, this body that was being beat up and, and destroyed on this cross. He was going to put it all together again and, and bring him up to life again. He, I don't know if he knew. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. But he trusted God the Father. That once he gave himself... Once the seed was thrown in the ground and it died, it is necessary for it to die so that it will bring back up and fruit again, be fruitful again. So he encourages us to cry for ourselves because we are the ones that are in need. But then he dies and he comes back to life, Chris, in such a powerful manner that he pours his spirit on you so that then you and I will be the ones moved to compassion and not stay at a pity party. But because he has cleansed us with his blood, because he has redeemed us through his actions, he now lives in you and I through the Spirit and he calls us to be moved into compassion. Don't cry for me, he said. Cry for yourselves. And if we are redeemed and we are covered under that grace and we are in that hand of the Lord, we are in Christ, then we are called to be moved into compassion with what happens out there with others in our lives, in our daily experience. So this morning I'm asking you, who is it that you shed tears for? For yourself, it's okay. For your loved ones, it's okay.
But have we ever shed tears for injustices done in this world? Have we ever shed tears for the way in which we value some lives more than others? Have we ever shed tears when we hide in our nice homes and ignore the plea of those who don't have one? Have we shed tears for those who we so proudly and Americanly reject? Because if we haven't, Jesus has. And to this day, there are injustices that we are part of them implicitly or explicitly, whether we know it or not. Look at the pews next to you. They're empty, some of them. Guess what? Do you care? Do you care for those empty seats? Can you imagine a life receiving word and hope and, and, and joy on a weekly basis sitting next to you? Could you imagine that? Do you cry for that? Because Jesus does. Oh, it's not a guilt trip what I'm trying to say. No. No. It is a reality that we are called to care. It is our duty to shed the tears for those who can't voice and then voice it out. So I invite you this morning. These little envelopes have tears in there. And I invite you to come this morning. Come. Get your envelope and take these tears as a reminder that, yes, Jesus paid it all. Take these tears as a reminder that we are to have compassion for others. Fix this little envelope as a symbol that, yes, he shed tears for you, but that we are to shed tears for others. As we together sing the song, Jesus paid it all.